you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Uh, Sarah and Brad and I were out in the lobby earlier this week talking uh, after an event, and we, we talked about some of the blunders we have made from the chancel, uh, those times when we have said things we shouldn't have or done things, and, and we were drawn back to when I ruined the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe for Amelia. I uh, told her, and if you don't know this by now, it's shame on you, that Iron Man dies in Endgame and she collapsed into laughter and maybe tears, something in her mother's lap and I could barely keep going. You needed Endgame, right? You needed that movie. She had invested all this time in this universe to get there uh, and I ruined kind of the, the penultimate moment of this movie. She would not have enjoyed the cinematic universe if you had stopped with Infinity War, would you? And this, this movie that ends with Thanos snapping his fingers and half the, half the population of the entire uh, world, or the entire cosmos, something, uh, disappearing. You needed the final book, the final movie. It'd be like uh, going to the Lord of the Rings and, and reading uh, the uh, Twin Towers and Fellowship of the Ring and leaving out the Return of the King. It'd be like Reading uh, The Magician's, uh, how have I forgotten the name of the books in uh, Chronicles of Narnia? Help me out, Brian. Yes, Magician's Nephew. Uh, and then not reading the rest of them. It'd be like reading the first three acts of Romeo and Juliet and not going to the fourth. We need uh, the full stories that the authors intend for us to get, right? If you'd invested 21 movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and not watched that, uh, you would be greatly deprived I have done that most of my life uh, to one of our biblical authors. Most of my life, I have, I have loved Luke, his gospel. It's got some of the favorite stories, right? The stories of uh, the shepherds coming in and uh, celebrating Jesus. It's got the stories of him as a precocious 12-year-old going to the temple and being like, yeah, of course I'd be here. This is my dad's house. It's got the story of the good Samaritan, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's the only, uh, it's the only one that gives us an, an ascension story. But, but I've always felt something a little lacking with Luke's gospel. I've, I've preferred John. I've preferred Matthew. And, and what I've only realized this year is it's because I've stopped at the end of Luke. Our, our Bibles, as we have them, uh, do us a great disservice. They give us Luke, and then they stick the gospel of John right after it. It should be Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke, so that then we can roll right into Acts. Luke-Acts was, was to be together as one story. It is uh, the... Infinity War and Endgame, you will, of uh, the Jesus movement. It's the uh, Act 1 and Act 2 of Hamilton. It's uh, the whole of this new rescue plan for God's creation. Uh, Luke writes uh, as a, uh, uh, a made man. Somebody uh, is paying him to do this job. Back then, you didn't have bunco clubs. You didn't have bridge clubs. You didn't uh, go out for whatever uh, the events were. You had reading groups if you were wealthy. And you hired somebody to make a copy or to write you something fresh and bring it to you. And, and somebody did this with Luke. Theophilus, 
underwrites uh, Luke's traveling ministry, his writing ministry, and his publishing ministry. And, and, and he gets his money's worth. Luke writes this two-volume collection for, for Theophilus, this rich benefactor uh, that has uh, such weight to it. Luke uh, is masterful in what he describes. He, he has multiple layers. Uh, geography structures both books. The, the movement of the Gospel of Luke is from Galilee to Jerusalem. And then the book of Acts takes us from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Uh, he has this uh, woven pattern of uh, God lifting up the lowly and humbling uh, the mighty. He uh, traces us in the Jesus movement uh, from his birth to his ascension. And then the, the, the church story from its birth uh, to its, uh, at that time, uh, to its fullness as it went to the whole ends of the earth. If we stop at the end of Luke, we miss out greatly. We need the Acts story to finish where Luke took us in his gospel. It, it'd be good on its own, but we need Acts. And, and for much of my life, I kind of ignored Acts. It was one of those things that much like kings, you try to make a chart to keep up with who's on what missionary journey with what partner and who's mad at whom. And uh, are we back in Ephesus a second time or a third time? We were talking about letters in the middle of it. Is that supposed to be the Corinthian letters we have or some other letter? It's all about Peter and then all of a sudden it just flips and it's all about Paul. It, it's a logistical nightmare. It's why if you have little maps in the back of your Bible, you get as many maps devoted to Paul's missionary journeys as to Jesus' whole ministry. But it's rich if you don't get bogged down in the details. If instead of uh, trying to make a chart or a plan or a map, if instead you can sit and, and dwell in the gift that is the story of the Spirit enlivening people just like you and I. The book of Acts picks right up, right up with these uh, post-resurrection encounters, the, the uh, disciples encountering Jesus, his ascension, and then what we've now become, come to call Pentecost, this time where the Spirit fell on Jews from all sorts of nations and, and they had... Uh, a speech that they can understand each other despite where they are from. The, the Spirit enlivens them to begin this bold proclamation. Peter is declaring the goodness of God and people are coming into this new Jesus movement in waves. And the Spirit is upon them all. They go out and, and continue this healing ministry that Jesus had given them in their beginning and, and they heal folks that have been, uh, been unhealable for 40, 50 years and we start the same problems for them that Jesus had. The religious leaders get angry and furious. They bring in Peter and John and try to question them, try to say, how are you doing this? You can't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. You're declaring that this is because of Jesus. I thought we dealt with him. And they said, we can only tell you what we know to be true. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in within us. And the same God who is doing that is, is healing these people. And the religious leaders trembled. They went back to the disciples and the disciples were filled, it said, with the Spirit even more. And from then on, they went out in bold proclamation of the gospel. The Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. The Spirit comes upon them now and the Spirit is the thing that unifies them. Today's text begins kind of this new vision that what, is it, what does it look like to be part of this Jesus movement. We've, we've read that they, uh, they worship together. They break bread at a table together. They uh, care, uh, care for one another and they uh, fellowship. And now we begin to get a picture of what that looks like as, 
As Paul, or not Paul, I'm not at Paul yet. As we get a picture from Luke of the church living in mutuality, God's grace leading them to do things like to sell their, their future security for a present need within the community, to, to give up uh, a reliable future income to, to meet the needs of this group today. They held everything in common, and it says that their grace was sufficient. This text is uh, it's pretty powerful. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned property or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. They were of one heart and one mind. And the grace of God was abundant with them. And so then they do crazy stuff. Like sell everything they have to make sure that someone who doesn't have is taken care of. And, and as if we're supposed to kind of wonder how serious they were about this, we get two stories that follow. We get a very brief story of Barnabas. The one that they had called Joseph, who's now Barnabas, who's a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field, sold it, put the money in the care of the apostles. And then we have that story we're all familiar with of Ananias and Sapphira, who sell their home and then bring part of the money to the church. They give it uh, to this new Jesus movement, to the apostles, and, and they hold some back for themselves. And the story is that they both die because of this. Now, it's, it's problematic because nowhere in here do I read a command, sell your house, Brian, right? It's nowhere in there that this is a mandate, but they do something which is strange. They sell their house, but then hold it back. They sell their house, and then they lie about it. For a group that was of one heart and one mind, their, their hearts and their minds were divided. Instead of uh, trusting in the community of this new Jesus movement, they sought to trust themselves. This text is about money because it's, a, it's so often a clear indicator of how we uh, trust in God's grace, right? But it, it's actually far more about what it means to be in mutual submission to one another in the life of the, the Jesus movement. What does it look like to be of one heart and one mind, to trust that the community of faith will be, uh, will be there for you? will surround you in your times of darkness and trouble, will take care of you financially and otherwise. Are we of one heart? Are we of one mind? Is, is God's grace sufficient with, for us? Or is it not? And this becomes the question for the church from then on. In many of Paul's letters, we see that uh, the, the church in Jerusalem uh, is under famine, and, and all these other churches in Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica are asked to contribute it to them. And instead of, of, of caring for the, the Jerusalem church, so many of them pull back and say, but that's our money. That's our thing. Let them take care of themselves. And, and Paul spends a ton of time talking about 
one heart and one mind, caring for one another, ensuring that the, the new Jesus movement is about mutuality. And in the Sunday school class I'm in where today, we talked about what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit, and it's mutual submission, care for one another, love of those in our community. We, we pick this up in our membership vows. We're going to surround each other with a community of love and forgiveness that we will uh, join with them. We will raise up our kids together in a way that leads to life. The church was in one heart and one mind about two things. Caring for the community of faith and proclaiming the resurrected Christ. We make that, uh, we make it too hard so many times when we try to make it about anything else than caring for people and proclaiming the good news of Christ. This, this is really at the heart of what we see throughout the whole Old Testament. The problem is they don't care for other people and they fail to worship Yahweh. It, there's nothing new under the sun, right? This becomes the problem for the early church. They stop caring for people at times and they fail to go out and bold witness. I believe that we're supposed to come to this text and ask ourselves, are we of one heart and one mind? Is, is anything distracting us from caring for one another in mighty and powerful ways, ways that we would give up our own security in order to care for one another? And are we in one heart and one mind about the proclamation of the gospel itself? Are, are we getting bogged down in the details of this fight or that fight or this thing or that thing? Or are we boldly declaring that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again? Are we uh, a little bit too worried about this thing or that thing? Or are we looking around and going, we've got hungry widows. We've got children who desperately need parents. I think we're doing a pretty good job at Andover of these things. You know, it's, I don't want to highlight Bob and Kathy, but uh, to have taught them about our, our church this week, uh, they've talked about seeing the Spirit in this church. And I've spent a lot of time this week reflecting on the goodness of the people of Andover and how we, we seem to have uh, this common desire to love one another, to care for each other in our need, and to boldly proclaim that it's because of Christ, that it's through his spirit that we can do these things. But the church universal is not of one heart and it's not of one mind. So often the church has sold the gospel we have for uh, the party line. So often we have said that maybe the government should take care of those needs instead of us, the church. Friends, my prayer is that, that as a church, we would be even more filled with the Spirit, that day after day we would seek it out. We would pray for God's grace to be lavish in our life so that we would seek it out that we might be of one heart and one mind, that we might boldly proclaim the gospel and that we might care for one another. We're in this new series through the book of Acts, and, and often we focus on uh, the direction of the church's growth. But the lectionary this time seems to give us a bunch of texts that ask us to consider what was being shed to the ends of the earth. What was this new Jesus movement? What was it that uh, took every corner of the earth in the first two centuries? And it's all rooted in these first stories. A church that was filled with God's spirit, where grace was abundant and where they were of one heart and one mind. I hope over the next few weeks that we might grow in grace. We might grow in love. We might grow in our boldness of proclamation. That's my hope and prayer for all of us. Let's pray. Jesus, would you bring our prayers before the throne of God? 
Lord, we pray for our hearts to be filled with your spirit, for your grace to lavish over us, for us to be of one heart and one mind, to boldly proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ and to care in ways that are extravagant, ways that make no sense in the eyes of the world, but that shine a light on your goodness. Lord, we know that outside of your grace and outside of your spirit, uh, we, we have no hope of unity, but uh, because of you, we can live in mutual submission and be a community that declares that your kingdom is at hand. So, Lord, we trust you. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.